Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. That's a waste of Gary Allen brings you his new studio album, Ruthless, featuring 13 brand new recordings. Including the single Waste of a Whiskey Drink. New music from Gary Allen, Ruthless. Available everywhere now. Tell me how you can be so ruthless. and there will be no encore. Welcome to episode 231 of your lockdown podcast. Craig Fitzpatrick, <laughs> how are you feeling? Hey buddy, well I'm not in lockdown. How is um, life in the what, disease reservoir? Was that what our acting chief medical officer called it? So um, strikingly and poetically yesterday. I love it, yeah. It's a nice um, nice turn of phrase. Um, why not, you know? Fuck it. Like it's, I guess it's our turn. Although at the time of recording... Dublin hasn't officially been locked down, but I think it's a matter of minutes. It could be happening right now. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's okay. A nice death pause there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, think I, okay. I now feel like, you know, you could. I could be saying, oh, a bit of karma and like there was lots of jokes at me being locked down in Kildare, but I took no advantage of, like, I can, I can see myself doing very little that's like, you're not going to be able to get up to in Dublin. Leaks up isn't all that great, folks. You're not missing out on much. Hang in there, our Dublin listeners, is my stirring message. My Churchill-like address to the nation. The can-do spirit, the blitz spirit. That's what we need right now. I've got the Phoenix Park for company, so I should be okay. I've been going yeah, on lots of be, walks lately. It's been great. But listen, this is no encore. This is a music podcast on the Headstuff Podcast Network. Back once again, and on this episode, we'll be reviewing the new album from Everything, Everything. And our top five concerns 
calendar-themed songs, calendar classics. We'll talk all about it later on. It's going to happen. Patreon.com slash noencore if you'd like to help support the show. New playlist out every single week. Sometimes inspired by what goes down in the episode, sometimes inspired by what pops into our brain. And I guess something that has been inspiring people, Craig, to turn their backs on a, the so-called paper of record is the Irish Times. And they're once again, they've done it again. They've done another <laughs> top 50 concerning Irish music came out last weekend. Uh, top 50 best Irish music acts right now in order. And yes, it is in fact the same authors as the last one, Ed Power and Lauren Murphy, who chaired the best 50 Irish albums of all time over the summer, which caused quite some consternation back in July. This one, I guess, less so. However, we're going to talk about it. Yeah, so it's it's the two amigos, it's two people's opinion yet again. I mean, why would anyone be interested in like the long-winded ramblings of two music critics? I don't know. Shocking, um, I know, it's a strange concept. That's, by yeah. the way, that's patreon.com forward slash no encore. Um, I haven't seen the full list. I kind of dipped in and then was like, I don't really want to give clicks to this. But I have read the intro, which you've um, so helpfully put in running order. And again, it's the very kind of like cagey, hedging your bets. We're just starting a conversation uh, prelude, which is basically like absolving themselves of any responsibility for the lists, deordering um, this, having any weight whatsoever. What was your takeaway from the approach? Well, my favorite, my favorite line in that regard was, "You will have your own top fifty, and it's just as valid as ours." What's the fucking mm. point, lads? And then, like, feel free to leave your own recommendations in the comments. Don't take it too seriously. Fair enough. That's you know unnecessarily kind of I think disclaiming it too hard. But like the very first line in the intro is, "This is an exciting time for Irish music. The dreary male with guitar is being replaced." And it's like, hang on a second, you literally gave girl band the best Irish album of all time two months ago and listen I love girl band I'm not saying they're dreary at all but they are Irish lads with guitars who make challenging music that some people might consider dreary and complex or whatever the fuck but also not only did you can you not keep to your own internal logic here three months later or whatever it is two months later um girl band are then number four in this list despite making the best Irish album of all time fair play Fontaine's (laughs) DC who I would argue are in fact dreary are number two what look they're gone it's over here Here's two you of our see, top I think, five. I think, Dave, what's happening here is they're referring to a very specific type of dreariness, which is like a dreariness that you can convey on the streets of Dublin, particularly Grafton Street, and is kind of tourist friendly. So if you introduce a bit of grit, maybe some distortion pedals and wear less cardigans, you might just make this top 10. But also, like, the whole crux of this supposedly is that it's the best Irish acts around right now, which, first of all, on principle, great, great idea for a list, do it, but maybe don't give it a numerical value, and also specifically crow that it's in order. How do you rank, you know, like, why is Maya Sophia, you know, better, quote-unquote, better than, say, I I don't know, fucking girl band or whatever? I mean, like, like, it's just so confusing. Um, Denise Child is number one, and I think that does make sense in terms of the meteoric rise she's having. And also, stay tuned to No Encore. We've got a very lengthy interview with Denise coming soon, which I'm uh, just conducted today. Just got back into the remote studio to do this uh, right after it, and it went really fucking well. Denise is awesome. I don't think anybody would dispute her being at number one, although you could be like, well, she only had four singles, but it's like, what is the parameters? What like Like, what is the... It's it's so unclear as well, like what the choices are, because again, like I say, best Irish acts around right now. Here's Divine Comedy at number seven. Sorry. Yeah, apparently the last album was really good. I didn't hear it. Um, it's very interesting how they've, yeah, like how do you wait it? Do you kind of bring into 
play the discography. You've got like, I think Van Morrison and U2 at the kind of upper echelons of that list. So um, whatever about U2, and obviously you can make an argument about their merits over the last couple of decades. I don't think anyone is saying Van Morrison is a really vital force in music right now, is he? Like... Maybe I'm doing him a huge disservice, the old grump, but like, come on. The old grump. He, he just turned 75, you know what I mean? Like, and like, not to be ageist or nothing, but like, if, if you're trying to like decree that Ireland is this, you know, next wave, you know, kind of like, you know, new generation, etc. Surely it should preclude an act like Van Morrison and like Divine Comedy and like you two, you know, get out of your own way you two for like fucking the new batch of people because like that's yeah. in there and, and also like you should take a leaf out of say like you know like the way Nile 9 does it when he does these kind of lists alphabetize it you don't need to do a numerical ranking take 50 Irish acts new Irish acts you know or at least kind of you know ones that are like James Vincent Moore was not on this list which is interesting um for those I love right is not on this list are you out of your mind like the, there's so much <laughs> maybe like, they natural... haven't heard the records i i know it's about but to it's be just, properly released soon but um it's I don't baffling know. And, and and like 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 i say there are choices that obviously make a lot of sense denise Chyla, pillow queens etc there's lots, lots of kind of very trendy for the sake of it ones where you're like i don't know but i also uh, here's listen i think ultimately if you put out a list like this right and then you have acts like nilo um who was like openly mocking it for being called a quote uh hardcore rocker in his former days and mango like mango and mathman like mango was like oh cool they've uh, finally discovered that we're on the where the act who was on that television show the the normal people mm. reference i think if you have even the acts that are on or even other ones being like oh hey like you know um this is great and all but uh you know it's kind of weird to pit bands against each other but you know yeah, yeah happy to have it it's just it's one thing to have the general public kind of take some shots at it. And again, it didn't really generate that much traction this time around. Shock horror after the last one. But if you have acts who are being lauded, turn around and either wash their hands of it, put in a bunch of disclaimers or openly rip the fuck out of it. Maybe it's time to not do another list for a while, guys. I don't know. Yeah, I will say, though, that it's kind of quite easy for the acts to, like, judge the, like, take the temperature of Twitter and go, okay, this is kind of being slagged. I'm on the list. Am I going to be, like, so honoured to place 13th in the rankings of blah, blah, blah? Do you know what I mean? I'd say secretly people are kind of happy they're being mentioned in, you know, a piece that's now being talked about quite a bit. So if it gets eyes and ears on some acts that, you know, people otherwise wouldn't have, okay, fair enough, but... Yeah, I mean, you know, all the cool acts will, of course, slag off every list and award ceremony and every accolade they get, just like, say, Oasis in the 90s. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, uh, it's been a while since we've heard from Oasis, though. I mean, they're not really doing much As. of note these days, neither Liam nor Noel. Oh, hang on a minute. Basically, what's good about the mask is if someone's coughing next to you with coronavirus, the mask is going to lessen the dose you get, right? So if you get if you breathe in a lot of it, your um, immune system, no matter how healthy you are, might be overwhelmed by it. Mate, so, listen to me. Listen to me. It's when it's a fucking law, when it's a law, right, it's not a law, there's too many fucking liberties being taken away from us now. And I'm afraid until, you know, I've been in shops today. Have you got a mask? No, I haven't. You have to wear a mask. Says who? Oh, uh, well, says the manager. Who's the manager? Yeah, but who, are you, but who are you kicking back against? Just like, because they don't, they've just told what to do. I don't give a fuck. I don't, I don't, I choose not to wear one. If I get the virus, it's on me. Yeah. Right, it's not on anyone yeah. else. But like, right, so, if every, so if every other cunt's wearing a mask, I'm not going to catch it off them. Right. And if I've got it, they're not going to catch it off me. 
So fucking, I just think it's a piss take. That's uh, comedian Matt Morgan there on the Matt Morgan podcast, entertaining a bit of a tantrum from Noli Gallagher. <laughs> Craig, where do you want to start with breaking this one down? Uh, he's missed the entire point, doesn't he? Like, it's just like, well, if I catch it, I don't mind. Yeah, dude, it's in case you have it and you give it to other people. It's just so entitled, isn't it? Like, the amount of just, you know, to begin with, white, middle-class blokes, but then also you have very, very wealthy rock stars going, our freedoms have been taken away. Like, how much more do we have to surrender? It's like literally one more small item of clothing. That's all. Dude, you walk around in fucking sunglasses in grim, overcast Manchester every day. That's not a problem. But a mask? He's a tosser. I'm actually, I actually thought he had a bit of common sense. Like, Liam Gallagher on Twitter is just like, wear your fucking mask, gotta do it. It's weird how that's been reversed. I thought he had sense. Very disappointed. Yeah. I mean, listen, he's a rent quote. We know this. And ultimately, you know, sometimes he can turn around and say things that are quotable for the right reasons. But yeah, as you say, it's the entitlement. I mean, first of all, the image, by the way, of him in a fucking Selfridges, you know, (laughs) can I see the the manager, please? Like, unbelievable. Like, no fucking Karen Gallagher over here. Absolutely embarrassing. Uh, Following on from Ian Brown, of course, who's doubling down on his shtick about this, you know, again, like, can you listen to a song like F-E-A-R in the same way again, Craig? (laughs) I do like that song. Um, It's a good song. Yeah, (laughs) it's, do you know what, actually, now you mentioned the Ian Brown thing, I'm thinking, like, Noel Gallagher's early career owes a huge huge amount to the Stone Roses. I'm wondering, is he just so locked into like nicking stuff off Ian Brown and the Roses that he's just like, Ian Brown said what? Okay, I've got to hop on this. Um, fuck yeah. I, I kind of felt sorry for Matt Morgan, who was, if, if you're not uh, aware of Matt Morgan's work, he's like best mates with Russell Brand. I think he did a, like a lot of writing for him. He used to be on his radio show and he was like the funnier of the two, just a kind of quiet, like really down to earth guy. And they used to have Noel Gallagher on, so that's how they struck up a friendship. But you can hear Matt Morgan be like, don't say this. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? <laughs> you know I mean? Trying to explain it to, like, <laughs> this older gentleman um, that probably voted for Brexit and just going, oh, God. <laughs> I'd never heard of Matt Morgan before. The only Matt Morgan I'd be familiar with is a failed WWE wrestler from the mid-2000s. But yeah, it was interesting because, like, I think in a lot of these cases, especially when you got mates talking to each other, I went into the clip anticipating that it would have been... Yeah, he'd be kind of arguing the same point. So I was glad to hear him immediately be like, oh, listen, no, that, that doesn't make sense. Because Noel Gallagher yeah. went from like, he initially starts giving, like he, he made this like train analogy about being on a train and people like taking off the mask to have food. And listen, don't get me wrong. I understand when people like do the thing of like, oh, well, look, if I'm in this specific zone doing this specific thing and I take my mask off, the virus won't get me. And that's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, we're all figuring this thing out in real time. But the idea of wearing the mask for anyone who has yet to get it into their skull is as you said earlier on, Craig, it reduces the chance of transmission, it reduces the chance of infecting someone else, even if you're totally fine. And for Noel Gallagher to be like, it's, it's it's on me, yeah? I'm willing to I'm willing to take that fall. It's like, you could fucking kill someone. And listen, I'm not, you know, I know. Like, I'm neither, I'm neither one way nor the other with this. I'm like, I think anti-mask people really need to fucking cop the fuck on. But I'm also not like, you know, oh, well, I'm sure this mask thing is the ultimate saviour. I mean, like, I wear a mask when I go out as best I can. I have no issue wearing one. Um, I think with this current fucking thing, it's such a lottery that, like, you're seeing all kinds of people around the world in all kinds of situations and circumstances getting struck down or whatever, or just, you know, not getting it and so on. I just, I think the big problem here, though, is that Noel Gallagher has, like, a shit ton of fans who will believe everything he says and will want to emulate their hero. And in order, like, for him to come out in such a kind of a 
really stuck up kind of childish selfish way he just it just gives further fuel to the fire to fucking pricks you know totally does disappointing well you know listen if you need further proof the 2020 <laughs> really is the most traumatic year on record pendulum have announced that they're returning with their first new music in a decade i believe that new music two tracks in particular should be out now as of the podcast dropping i will understand if you need to pause this and go check them out it's a big moment the australian drum and bass outfit um comprised of rob swire gareth mcgrillen and paul harding broke up back in 2012 it was a tough time i remember we were in the hot press office it was a dark day really that day on trinity street oh yeah um can you name their big hit, Craig? Their, I guess their biggest hit. I think it came out in about 2008. Uh, no, I've probably struck it completely from my memory. They never really did it for me, surprisingly. So <laughs> I was like, I would like break, break out in hives anytime they were mentioned or stuff came on. So no, t- tell me all about it. It was called Propane Nightmares and it was a big <laughs> yeah. summer anthem. What? And it. <laughs> It's so bad. It's so bad, I'm not even going to play it. I'm just going to move on. Go look it up. But listen, um, the new tracks, uh, one is called Nothing For Free and one is called Driver. Um, with regards to some of the some of the quotes, they've been described in, in, in really interesting terms. Nothing For Free is apparently allegedly contains, quote, classic vocals from frontman Rob Swire, while Driver has been described as a quote unquote mighty song. Um, I really thought that we were past the pendulum era. But it was one of those kind of like, at this stage, this is like the 16th Horseman of the Apocalypse. But this one is coming at you with some fucking souped up EDM. Ugh, just the worst genre, I think, as well. I can't be doing with any of it. Um, yeah. Give us a good news story, Craig. Something about a kid's okay. book, perhaps. Okay. Well, little Nas X, he's been out of the picture for a little bit. Um, obviously, huge success um, with Old Town Road last year. Was it last year or was it five years ago? I have no kind of sense of time at all anymore. It seems like it's been a minute since he was with us. I think it was last year. I remember it being okay. played relentlessly in the Joe office for that entire summer, but it could have originated towards the end of 2018. The, the important thing yeah. is that it's, it's still with us. We still think about it. Very much so. And he's clearly still thinking about it as well because he's moved on to other creative ventures, uh, but he's referring back to that big crossover hit. So he took to Twitter uh, during the week to announce that he's dropping the best kids book of all time soon. Uh, Likely a reference to Kanye's speech. I don't know what the best thing. Possibly. Anyway, it turns out that the picture book will be entitled C is for Country. (laughs) And the minute I saw the title, I was like, I will put this in running order. Is this supposed to be like a very subtle, like, ha 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 pun, one for the adults? Like, I'd like to think no. <laughs> I'd like to think that he's trying to reach out to a younger generation who haven't quite formed their uh, profanity dictionary just yet. But now that you mentioned sure. it, Greg, this could be know, a psyop. It possibly, you know, it really could be. If it's one of these, okay, so it's going to be like an alphabet-themed narrative running through it. And the plot of the book, I know you're dying to hear it, Dave, follows Lil Nas X and his trusty steed, Panini, which is like obviously one of his hit songs. But I also thought Panini was a character in some kids' TV show. So he'd it's, like the best song, it's the best song in that EP, for sure. It is the best song in that EP, but I will say it's a straight lift of, was it In Bloom? It's a big Nirvana hit. It's a great melody. It totally works the way he's done it. But yeah, I agree with you. Um, so yeah, it's going to educate children on the ABCs through various country-themed objects, such as cowboy hats and animals typically found on a farm. Here's an excerpt, Dave. A is for adventure. Every day is a brand new start. B is for boots. 
but they're big or small, short or tall. And C is for country. So yeah, it sounds riveting. I'm always, it, it always seems to be the go-to for celebrities, music artists. It's, you know, if they get kind of literary and it's not like their own memoirs, it's always a children's book, right? Like the cynic in me feels like, A, it's because, now I'm doing my own ABC book. A, is because it's very, very lucrative. And B, it's because like, you can write like 20 sentences and you've got the entire book. There's very little investment, right? C is for Craig makes a sweeping generalization about kids' books apparently being easy to write. Kids' book authors the world over give out no, about this segment. I will say it's, you know, to write a good kids' book is probably the hardest thing to do. It's harder than just a general novel or whatever. But these kind of ones where it's just like a few nice illustrations he doesn't do. Do you know what I mean? I f- Maybe I'm doing him a disservice. He definitely seems like an enthusiastic guy. He's creative in different ways, you know, broke on social media initially. So I'm sure this will be one of the good ones, but I'm always suspicious about kids' books by celebrities. Maybe we should do like a no encore one. A is for Adam, comma, Sonic Architect. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> Go all day. But I won't. Instead, I will say that in, in terms of kids' books, someone who would probably struggle to get through one is Donald Trump, the US president, who could still be the US president in a couple of months time I don't know but I'm not confident um his taste in music though Craig something that doesn't often come up and obviously he's picked some stuff for rallies recently or at least his team have nine times out of ten whoever gets the dubious honor tends to go on Twitter immediately and be like take that down uh however a big revelation this week in which he has apparently decided what the best music video of all time is and no it's not by Beyonce or Kanye West, or even Justice versus Simeon or Taylor Swift. It is, in fact, Craig, Guns N' Roses. Yeah, it's a, it's a song that technically could feature in our upcoming top five. It's um, it's a calendar classic for some. It's November Rain. Um, so I thought I'd sneak it in for, for that reason. Yeah, I mean, it kind of makes quite a lot of sense, right? When you think of that music video, so overblown, um, just brash, very American, kind of nonsensical, long-winded. It's Donald Trump, isn't it? I always remembered um, in that video, Slash coming out of that church. The church is clearly like colossal (laughs) size. Slash walks out of the church and it's like tiny. Then he like does this massive guitar solo with the guitar not plugged into anything. Uh, Like uh, clearly this is where my cynicism began. I was just like, what the fuck? You know, what's going on over here? I don't get it. But um, I don't know. I mean, like, w- w- would this qualify? Are Guns N' Roses good? Like, are they? Um, Name me a Guns N' Roses song that you genuinely like. I think um, You Could Be Mine is pretty fun. Yeah, Welcome to the Jungle is maybe the one song of theirs that I would stick on for enjoyment. Uh, like, I, I can understand how Appetite for Destruction was hugely influential. Um, A lot of people have that as one of the best records of the 80s. Overall, it was nothing for me. I think it's really close to, like, the Motley Crue glam trash rubbish that was just everywhere on MTV at the time and like you know it was very much team Nirvana when they had that feud and it was just like grunge is is sweeping away all the excess of the Guns N' Roses and glam crew Welcome to the Jungles about as far as I get which is what track one album one Did you go through a Sweet Child of Mine phase ever? I will confess that I did, despite the fact that, you know, how many times were you in a local pub or a Dublin pub or whatever? And of course, inevitably, there it is. It's inescapable. It's one of those songs that just will not go away. But I think, much like Leonard Skinner's Freebird, I went through like a weird kind of couple of months phase of my life once when I was like, you know what? 
this song fucking rules, you know? It actually is a really good song. I've just heard it too much. And I'm, I'm the, way past I, that phase again, but I just... Yeah, I'm going to listen to it after God, the podcast. <laughs> you had a full recovery. <laughs> I do like the guitar. The guitar riff in Sweet Child of Mine is objectively very good like i'm sure when slash came up with that he was like yeah that's great <laughs> like fair play to him he did that but axel's i think it's maybe axel's voice winds me up and just him in general um donald trump doesn't seem to have much knowledge of music but i remember he was talking about um i think he was asked to name his favorite artist a while back and i can't remember who it was it was some like very bloated kind of mid-70s soft rock band it was like a foghorn or someone like that and he was asked to name like like his favourite album or his favourite song or just say something a bit more about them, right? And he, of course he couldn't because he doesn't know anything, right? <laughs> but he said he accidentally stumbled into something very like hipster and like if you're into music, something he would say. He's like, yeah, I haven't really been, uh, you know, listening to too much of the newer material. Uh, I guess it's that thing with music. Sometimes the early stuff. <laughs> just always do it for you. He literally said like words to that effect, and I was like, "What?" <laughs> Nailed it, Donald. Uh, amazing. Uh, in the if you want something done right corner, Madonna <laughs> is set to direct a brand new film about Madonna. Universal Pictures has signed on to be the home for the biopic. Also, let's stop the podcast right now. Is a biopic? Is a biopic? I've been given out to before. I always say biopic because it feels. It's more comfortable to say. It feels like the way that should be said. But then people tend to say you're being pretentious and it should be biopic. But biopic sounds weird to me. Yeah, I'm going with biopic. Fuck it. Um, She is directing this film. She will write it alongside Oscar winning scribe of Juno, one of my most hated films, (laughs) Diablo Cody, who has also written Jennifer's Body, I think, and some other stuff. I haven't really kept up with her career. Madonna will produce the film as well with Amy Pascal of Pascal Pictures. She's a major player in the Hollywood game. Madonna will not act in the film, but she will lead a search for a young actress who will play her in the formative stages of what is described as a disruptor's career that set the template for all the diva singing stars who followed from Beyonce to Lady Gaga. Are you hyped? Um, I do think she has a story to tell. Like, she did have a, a crazy career and broke a lot of barriers. And, you know, if there's going to be a biopic uh, about her, um, <laughs> I guess let her add it. But she doesn't have the best track record in terms of filmmaking. Um, She's in A League of Their Own. That's a good film. I enjoyed that one. She's also in Body of Evidence, which is not a good film. (laughs) Is that the one where William Defoe pours candle wax on her? Or is that something else? Uh, How dare you, sir? His name is Willem. And yes, he does. Willem, sorry. (laughs) It's a basic instinct knockoff. That was a whole thing. There's like a fucking, there's a Bruce Willis film, right, called Colour of Night, in which he just like shags someone for about two hours and also there's a murder somewhere. The 90s, I'm I'm telling you. I'm I'm well aware his name is Willem, but I think I knew where the end of that sentence was going and I got so flustered by it. I flubbed his name. Uh, There's a statement from Madonna. Should we read it? Yeah, go on. You do it. Okay. All right. I want to convey the incredible journey that life has taken me on as an artist, a musician, a dancer, a human being trying to make her way in this world. The focus of this film will always be music. Music has kept me going and art has kept me alive. There are so many untold and inspiring stories and who better to tell it than me? Wow. It's essential to share the rollercoaster ride of my life with my voice and vision. Madonna is the ultimate icon, humanitarian... Oh, no, sorry, that's a difference. That's someone else. (laughs) 
<laughs> That's Donna Langley from Universal in the next paragraph. Husband icon, humanitarian but, artist and rebel. Would <laughs> like, you have okay. been that surprised if that was a continuation? <laughs> I mean, listen, Madonna's got some incredible songs. She's a huge incredible. impact. Over 335 million records sold worldwide, apparently on the cover of more than 4,700 magazines. Imagine compiling that stat. Like, how do you even begin? <laughs> but like, yeah, listen, I mean... I think her best years are long behind her um, in terms of, you know, making music that is in any way enjoyable. But yeah, it's surprising it took this long, perhaps. I guess we tend to wait until um, our subject matter people are dead before we put out these ones. So maybe that'll be an interesting thing. However, it just sounds like she's got too much creative control, Craig. I don't trust it. Yeah, I mean... It'd be tricky for her to see this film true to completion if she did die. So I'm happy with her staying alive and uh, expressing her artistic vision. I think she's she's better in the world. And actually, she's one of those artists where she's had a couple of comebacks where you never, I'm I'm never going to fully write her off. You never know. Like one of these years, she might just release this insanely good album and suddenly it's like she's back. So she's done such great stuff. So it's I hate slagging her, but it's kind of easy to do. <laughs> well, you know, know, as noted, as noted, Craig, you know, she has acted a couple of times here and there. I don't know if she has built up enough cadre in the acting world to describe her as a character actor. A character actor, that's one of those weird terms that kind of comes around. I wonder if the actors involved actually get offended by it, because it's, it's one of those things where, like, you know, there's even a documentary called, like, um, it's, I think it's, you know, that guy from that film or, you, you know, that face or something. And sometimes you're like, well, that's not a character actor. That's like William H. Macy. Everyone knows him. But I guess the whole idea of it is to pay an extra level of gravitas to somebody, someone who slots in and kind of like, you know, can steal the film they're in without being a traditional leading man or woman. The point is, Craig, if you're as fascinated with character actors as I am, have I got a podcast for you? Hello everyone and welcome to I Know That Face, the only podcast which honours the often underappreciated by the masses work of character actors. My name is Stephen Portia. My name is Andrew Carroll. Character actor is a supporting actor who specialises in playing unusual, interesting or eccentric characters. For whatever reason, these performers are less concerned with being stars. Because of that, they often take supporting roles in big movies or only play leads in indie films or TV. They're less concerned with their image. They can bounce between heroes or villains. They're chameleons and they often disappear into each role. So you might know the faces, but you might not know the names. So subscribe to us wherever you keep subscribed for podcasts and be on the lookout for that to come. And until then, uh, see you later, cinephiles. Bye-bye. Lovely stuff. And I've listened to a few episodes. It's pretty good. I'd recommend checking it out. Now, Craig, how many horror films are you planning on watching next month? I'm hoping to go all 31. Um, I'm going to go for 13. Invert that motherfucker. I like it. It's, it's, <laughs> it's within the attitude and spirit that I wanted. One horror film that is not on my list, though, is uh, Stuart Gordon's classic Reanimator. Instead, okay, we'll have... <laughs> <laughs> lovely i love this link you're the instead, best, best in the business. In, instead we'll have to settle for an album called reanimator it's everything everything they're back with their fifth record this song is called big climb off the album reanimator Just one thing 
That's Big Climates. Track two on Reanimator, the fifth album from Everything Everything. Now, here to tell us more about these alliterative and repetitive enthusiasts, it's Craig Fitzpatrick. <laughs> and who isn't? Um, yeah, another week, another Manchester-based band. Um, musical nephews, maybe, of Doves, who's return uh, like a decade on we reviewed last week. Um, and speaking of branches on the musical tree, I guess I made the point last week that Doves maybe found their place in the immediate post-Radiohead kind of literate indie rock boom, uh, maybe appealing to fans of the 90s output of that Oxford band. Everything, everything are kind of built for the sampling, you know, synth-wielding, sequencing, art-pop escapades of maybe like the post-millennium um, Radiohead. They're basically the kids of Kid A. Their name comes from the opening words of Everything in its Right Place. Um, I say all this because I might be drawing some Radiohead comparisons in the review. I don't know if you will. But the, yeah, they're now <laughs> celebrating 13 years together, so they're not kids anymore. Um, and when they first arrived, um, they were intriguing. They were kind of like trillingly unwieldy, a bit awkward, genre melding. Um, and there was a lot of contradictions in their music. They were Try hard in a good way, I always found. Um, debut album Man Alive had its flaws, but they were kind of really quite singular uh, at times. They had some great calling cards, the likes of um, Mike He's Your Boyfriend, which I really enjoyed. Um, I remember interviewing them a few years ago, interviewing Jonathan Higgs, who's the front man. And it was just as they were releasing their second album. And he was pointing out that, you know, they were always being described as smart alecky art rock, um, a bit too matsy for their own good. And he was wanting to um, stop people thinking of them as kind of musical nerds and maybe make more of an emotional connection at that point. And as you say, they've they've had four goes at it now, um, four albums under their belt up to this one. And I think it's been a success for them overall, right? So like in this current landscape, um, you can file them alongside maybe the likes of Alt-J, Foles, uh, whatever you think about those particular bands, but they kind of push their own boundaries with each release, kind of question themselves and their sound, but they've also grown steadily in an almost kind of old-fashioned manner. Um, So everything, everything will do kind of big arena shows when hopefully that kind of thing comes back, they'll sell them out. I think this album is looking like it might land first or second on the charts alongside Doves, which is a kind of nice moment. Um... And yeah, Reanimator feels like they're pairing things back even more. They've talked about it being like back to basics. Um, They record it in like two weeks. Um, It happened after a really um, weird start to lockdown for them where their studio essentially caught fire, burnt to the ground. They lost a lot of their old material, um, kind of keepsakes, stuff with sentimental value, um, which they they obviously found is quite a shock and very depressing. Um, But they've kind of steadied themselves and thought, okay, we'll just capture whatever lightning we have in a bottle right now um, and get it out there. And they're not trying to kind of bamboozle people this time around, just do straight ahead songs, I guess. Um, How did it work for you, Dave? Well, first of all, I wanted to say thank you for giving the opportunity to revisit Doves for just a second. Of course, we reviewed their new record last week, The Universal Want. We were very, very positive about it. Uh, If you want to experience me trying to piece together a tricky interview with a very terse man who did not want to be interviewed... (laughs) Pick up the Sunday Business Post this weekend and enjoy my chat with Jimmy Goodwin of Doves. Now, as for everything, everything. (laughs) As for everything, everything. Can't win them all. As for everything, everything. Um, I texted a friend of mine on Friday and I said, I see your boys, everything, everything have won out today. 
And he responded and said, I was kind of hoping they just bailed. Nobody really needs any more Everything Everything music. And I say that as a fan. I'm not a fan. I'm not a hater. I'm just not a fan. I've only ever dipped into them here and there, usually if the prospect of an interview surfaced. But um, I get it. Um, let's talk about the vocals first. So if you're like, if you're if you've never heard them before, it's quite the vocal, isn't it? Is it good? <laughs> let's work. <laughs> Um, maybe slightly marmite for some people. Uh, I would say yes. Uh, it was a big, um, it's a point of uniqueness for them, for sure. Um, I kind of enjoyed it, latched onto it. I like his wordplay as well. I just felt it, it suited the band, their sounds, their approach, their lyrics. Um, the interesting thing this time around, I guess, is that uh, Jonathan Higgs is kind of reining in some of his more colourful flourishes and some of his kind of like vocal acrobatics, which means you get this um, quite nice falsetto that always kind of falls in the range of, yes, Tom York. And there's certain songs in this where it kind of sounds like you're just listening to Radiohead. Is one of those songs the excellently titled It Was a Monstering by any chance? Oh, yeah. Yeah, otherwise which I was uh, Jigsaw falling into pieces. <laughs> Dude, I was convinced my Spotify had skipped onto Radiohead. I was like, this is outrageous. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. And listen, you know, hey, if you're going to steal, steal from the best, says the guy who likes Radiohead but never listens to them. Um, so I guess one of the reasons I mentioned my friend there was because I was going to go back to him after a couple of initial listens and be like, this is really fucking good, man. I'm enjoying it on a pure surface level. Uh, a very easy album to throw on and listen to, about 45 minutes. Um, the more I listened to it, the more I think I began to kind of despise it because ultimately, and I really need a term for this, this is just music that goes in one ear and out the other. I need a better term than that. I can't tell you anything about this, man, and I hate it. I hate as a reviewer when I'm in that position, when I'm like clawing desperately for something to say. It's nice. Yeah. It's pleasant. It has moments. I love the closing track, Violent Sun, but I resent that it takes me so long to get there. Um, I they're just I there are certain bands like this. There are just certain bands that are like anathema or something. I'm just like they exist. Django Django, for example. Remember them? Oh, come on. Everything, everything are leagues ahead of Django Django. Although it doesn't help their case that their names have that repetition. When you say that out loud in a sentence, you're like, nah, they're just the same. Probably Landfill India. Are they? I don't know. I'm being but, a bit, um, you know, I'm kind of coming at this with a, with a, with a little bit of a, a bit of a knifing, a bit of a monstering. I just don't have anything to cling to. It's certainly, listen, let me clarify. It ain't bad. It works as a passive, it's there cool but i felt zero connection to it and in a week when i rewatched blade runner 2049 for the third time and finally felt a little bit more emotional connection to a film i've found to be previously absolutely beautiful to look at but narratively weighed down with lots of bad choices which are still there by the way i'm all for i'm all for having that moment having that kind of like i'm working a little bit hard to get to get to that you know realization point and maybe meeting something halfway this is just a collection of songs do you want me to give you something to chew on? Because there's a concept to this album, apparently. Because uh, I was doing some digging around and I kind of agree with you at times. Like, I kind of like, there's a lot of good one-liners in there. I could pick up on some of the vibes, but finding a really um, coherent true line that you could kind of cling to emotionally was tough at times. So the the thinking behind this album is it's based around this psychological hypothesis called the bicameral mind. Are you aware of this, Dave? Never Have you read this in the press release? <laughs> so this is <laughs> no. the idea that like at one point in like our distant past, we had a divided brain, right? <laughs> so like the left chamber and the right chamber um, 
of the brain weren't properly connected, right? So you'd literally hear a voice in your head telling you what to do. And the theory goes that people just thought this voice in their head, which was actually them, was like God. And then we evolved to a point where two sides joined and that became like proper consciousness and it changed like the start of civilization and all that kind of thing, right? So Jonathan Higgs says he read a lot about this kind of thing, started thinking about how um, how we're kind of influenced by occultism, religion, society in general. It's an album about society, but um, and how people can be led down dark avenues, um, how people experience states of fractured mind. It's quite heavy stuff, and it did like a lot of the lyrics started to make sense to me then. Um, so that is kind of what they're going for now. <laughs> When you're reviewing an album and giving it like four or five listens, I don't know if that all kind of totally coalesces um, unless you've read like that part of, you know, a very long press release. But I will say I had the opposite uh, reaction to you, Dave, right, where it wasn't quite working for me. Um, And actually, I'm now at a point where I think the second half is quite a bit stronger. It sounds a bit more like them. I agree with you that The Closer of Violent Sun is the best song on it. I think it might be the best thing they've done. And I feel like the songs leading up to that are like jostling for position, like in Birdsong, the actor, all really good. Black Hyena is like a a good Muse song. Like there's some kind of dark bass going on there. I think it's quite cool. It could work as a single if it hasn't been released already. And every time I get to the end of a playthrough of this album, it leaves me with a really good impression. I'm enjoying it more and more every time. So it's kind of clicked into gear for me. Um, That said... I I don't think that tells the whole story because I do think there's stuff still needling me about the album. Um, and that comes back to some of the Radiohead stuff. Like they've talked about going back to basics. Uh, the guitarist, uh, Alex Robertshaw has spoken about uh, this time around, like they're usually thinking like, how do we fit in this crazy drum beat or, you know, getting kind of mathematical about the structures of the songs. And this time they're just like, how would Neil Young write a song? <laughs> And I guess on some of the tracks, uh, that makes sense to me, but they kind of end up sounding like Ben's era Radiohead or Hail to the Teeth era Radiohead. And then other songs just feel like old everything, everything. And they lose that kind of organic, anthemic, straight ahead rock tread. It's very kind of jarring. Maybe that's what they're going for with the theme of the record, but it kind of took me out of it quite a bit. So I do struggle through that opening half of the record. Uh, so it's it's by no means flawless. But I think overall, it's quite strong. Uh, lyrically, it is quite heavy. Like there's like those opening tracks as well. There's like, there's a lot of talk about um, like basically people that have fallen down a conspiracy theory hole and aren't getting out of it anytime soon. Like the, the opening um, song mentions like crisis actor kids being out to get you. Then like Big Climb, which we heard, like that that refrain line is like, uh, we're not afraid that this will kill us, we're afraid that it won't. And the band themselves were like, this was going to be a single, but at the current moment in time we're at, like it feels very heavy and not what people need to hear. And I felt that way with a lot of these lyrics where it was just like kind of jarring, dealing like with this weird psychological state of mind. Um, songs kind of working stylistically and then being paired with different songs. So yeah, all of this is to say that it was a grapple. I think they pull it through and the second half is really strong. I'm going to go with 7 out of 10. I think it's worth a listen, um, but it is by no means their best work, which I, I still think is get to heaven.
It's certainly worth a listen, and that track of Island Sun is great. Real quick, before I deliver my score, describe everything, everything for me as you would a child, without comparing them to any other act that ever existed. I'm just curious as to what your kind of, you know, your press release hook would be. What do they sound what, like? What do they sound like? Um, I would say Matt Rock influenced. Um, intricate rhythms, uh, spindly guitars, and a quite unique voice. When he's not he, doing a Tom York impression on this. <laughs> I was going to say, you know, you put Craig on the spot and he delivers every fucking time. I don't know. I just can't find anything here to cling to, much as I wanted to. Um, it, this is one Actually, of those Dave, albums, Craig. Yeah? Sorry uh, to cut across you. No, I was just going to... No, I'm just curious, actually, because uh, I've seen people saying that this is... A, a lot of these tracks are kind of the stuff they wish Radiohead was still making. If Radiohead had released this album instead of, say, like a moon-shaped pool, which I remember us reviewing a few years ago and us saying, you know, it's very impressive and skirting around calling it a bit boring. If this came out, like, as a Radiohead album, would you be like, oh, these are kind of great songs? Or, do you know what I mean? I'm just wondering, would these actually work as Radiohead songs? Yeah, is it that close? Uh, that's an interesting question. And, like, I, I, that is a, a whole other subset fascination I have where there are certain songs out there in the world where I'm like, well, if this artist had their name on it yeah. instead of this artist, you'd be saying it's fucking incredible, you know? Which is yeah. a whole, like, interesting kind of musical snobbery kind of route to go down. I don't know, because my expectations of Radiohead aren't all that much. Um, it'd be nice to hear them do a few pop songs, I suppose, or some kind of math rock upbeat banger. Yeah, I'm up for it. Do yeah, it, Tommy York and Co. But what I was going to say was, um, and it's interesting that you mentioned Moon Shape Pool there because, like, I know that this album, Reanimator, is going to be one of those albums that, in time, I will look back on it and completely forget that I reviewed it for this very show. But Craig, that time is going to be December. It's a five out of ten. I wish I liked it. I just don't know what's here. Like I said earlier on, man, can't win them all. In the other listening corner, though, I've been listening to some really good stuff this week. At the drive-ins, relationship of command turned 20 years of age and is still every bit as incendiary and incredible and vital a rock album as you're ever likely to hear. Even if I was doing some reading on it this week, um, at least one of the band, um, I think it's, uh, hang on, let me just pause that, Adam. One of the band said that, like, it's, the mix is terrible. He said he can't listen to it. He's just like, no, I, I, I hate how it sounds. Like the version of it that I've heard and I love, no one's ever going to hear. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, like maybe it's a bit polished, but overall I think it's a phenomenal, phenomenal album. In terms of other future, uh, in terms of other anniversaries, rather, um, a film that certainly had an interesting viewpoint of the future, Hackers, 1995's Hackers turned 25. Glorious, yeah. knowing it's trash. It's weird how we're all film. living through that era right now. It's great, yeah. But uh, if you've never seen Hackers, it's an incredibly uh, wonderful, so silly, a great indie gem from 95 with Johnny Lee Miller and uh, Angelina Jolie and lots of others. But the soundtrack is fucking incredible it's got like the prodigy I, be I became obsessed with voodoo people off the back of this film it's got orbital like it's left field squeeze lots of great shit on there so it was nice just to see that pop up and be like i'm throwing on the hacker soundtrack uh stereo gum i mentioned a while ago the great music website stereo gum did a fundraiser for their site a while ago hit the target and more they released a compilation a covers compilation i think it's like 50 songs to people who donated to their uh gofundme or whatever it was um so i have that i've been working my way through it there's loads and loads of songs but like it's 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 fun kind of covers of like songs from the 2000s and, and beyond or whatever you got like yeah. you know 
random covers of like Britney Spears and Nickelback and uh, various others. But uh, the standout for me so far is Rostam doing a beautiful, beautiful version of The Strokes Under Control. Um, I also enjoy putting together our latest Patreon playlist, patreon.com slash noencore. It's called Don't Call It A Comeback, stemming out from last week's top five in which Craig and I each uh, put aside 20 songs, kind of like late career highlights and that kind of stuff. I, I yeah, that was it's a really good list. I like the kind of juxtaposition. It's, yeah, I'm, I'm very pleased with it. It was fun to do as well. Yeah, and finally, an album that came out last week, an Irish album, uh, an artist by the name of Ev Carm. Um, I think his name is Evan Carmody. Uh, the record is called Awake and it is fucking excellent. It's one of the most arresting new albums I've heard in a while. Uh, really, really beautiful and thoughtful, meditative kind of music. And it's getting like, you know, a little bit of buzz in terms of people who've heard it or all, all seem to be won over by it. But it's very much an indie release. And if you're looking for something that is uh, really kind of beautifully autumnal and very affecting, I would say check out Awake by Ev Carm. Dave, you say um, one of the most arresting things you've heard in a while. Have you heard the new album from a little band known as The Flaming Lips? I have not. American I've Head. It, I've heard it discussed and I've heard some um, some kind of snippets from it. And I'm like, yeah, I'll leave that one to Craig. Oh man, it's really, really good. I was expecting very, very little. And it's the best thing they've done in 20 years, I'd say. It's a really good record. I think mainly because they lean into like the... Um, they're more melancholic, serious, kind of dark psychedelia side. It's not like the kind of wacky um, novelty songs and the kind of wig outs and stuff. It's quite concise. The songs are beautiful. And it's, yeah, if you've, you've, you've kind of um, strayed away from Flaming Lips for a lot of different reasons over the last decade or two, um, and want to get back to, you know, when they're actually great, the likes of Soft Bulletin, uh, this is as close as you're going to get. Unless you just listen to the Soft Bulletin, maybe that's your other option. Um, I've also been listening to Laura Veers, who's a really good Portland artist, um, an album called My Echo is coming in October, and just the singles are very, very strong, so I'm super hyped for that. Burn Too Bright is maybe the go-to track if you also want to get super hyped for that. Uh, Turquoise Walls is also really good. Uh, she's collaborated in the past with like Katie Lang, uh, Sufton Stevens, and just very, very strong songs. So Laura Veers, uh, V-E-I-R-S, is worth a check out as well. Let's veer into our top five. Why don't you set it up, Craig? This was your choice. <laughs> Allow me to recover from your amazing, amazing segue there. It was can I just say, good. by the way, can I just say, I literally did that interview with Denise Chyla and Merley, and it's like, it was like a good hour and a half in the studio. We were up against it time-wise. She's got a very busy <coughs> press day. I barely made the bus. I barely got home on time. I'm abs- I was just like, how the fuck am I going to pull it together? And yet... Here you have it, man. <laughs> you have top tier, Dave. <laughs> Can you put your arms down, Dave? <laughs> yeah, sorry, I got carried away. Apologies. <laughs> no, I love it. I love the energy. Let's bring that energy to the top five, which is calendar classics. And um, to delve a little deeper into what that means, we have a little snippet here of the track that inspired the list.
hate to lower that hate to stop it is Earth, Wind and Fire September um, the 21st night of September which falls on this next week the show is going into um, so yeah Calendar Classics is essentially songs that mention and then evoke certain times of the year we're talking about dates months years uh, I was initially thinking we go titles but hey if it's like a strong part of the song's narrative if it's a hook if it just brings you straight to that time of year it's all fair game. It's all good. Dave, do you want to kick us off with your number five? I do. And I also want to know for the listener's benefit, my arms went back up during that audio <laughs> clip because how could you not have a bop to that? It all was of wonderful. Arms were... Oh, flailing, man. That's how it was. Uh, as for me, this is also, I guess, something that gives me a bit of a charge. I've deliberately isolated the non-vocal section of this song, although the vocals are all right, too. At number five, an act that keeps popping up in our top fives every now and then, much to probably both of our surprises. Let's do it. <laughs> It is, of course, the mighty U2, Dublin lockdown favourites that they are, Irish Times favourites that they are. And the song is, of course, New Year's Day, the third track on the album War from 1983. And the first time um, that they graced the UK charts, peaking at number 10, in terms of like a hit, I guess, you know, it was like their their first big one. in 2010, Rolling Stone said it was the 435th greatest song of all time. Um, would you believe, <laughs> Craig, that this song had its origins uh, in a love song that Bonner wrote about his wife? You know, a rare one of those for him. Um, I just think that, you know, that section that you heard there, those kind of individual beautiful, beautiful notes, the fucking rising guitar, the the thrust of it all. That's the U2 I want to fucking, you know, like, you know, celebrate. Like, that's the U2 I love, just that kind of beautifully evocative emotional thing in 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 the just in the instrumentation i guess uh probably an easy choice for this top five but it holds up i think it just has this singularity to it that i absolutely adore it's really fun it's just great and it gives me a bit of a kick every time i hear it yeah it's kind of you two distills right so like it's as you say it was their first big chart song and you've got that like very um exclamatory I don't, I'm not even sure if that's a word, but it's like Bono. If it's not a word, it's a Bonoism where he's just like very declarative. It's universal. It's kind of lovelorn and like um, he's projecting quite a lot. You've got that like edge guitar really taking shape. Like they're starting to move away from the post-punk style of their first couple albums, which are like way closer to the likes of Joy Division than I think we, we remember, even if Bono was always kind of doing his Bono stuff. But it's like, it sets the blueprint for sure. And... Yeah, you mentioned it was on war. I was trying to think if it was on war or not. It was, of course. It, that's such a well-produced album. So clear, so kind of bold. Uh, you could make the arguments that it's their best set of just straight rock songs. Uh, still a great record. And then, you know, things completely changed for them. Well, this is the thing. I mean, like, do you not... Like, you two have such kind of 
I think you said change them in terms of like success there, but my automatic reaction was it was yeah, it was all downhill like, kind of yeah. yeah. In terms of like it's, creatively, they're one of those acts, you know. Like I mean, like it, it, a lot of people like just roll their eyes immediately. And I'm not suggesting that they shouldn't, but I do think that you two have legitimately written some of the best songs I've ever heard. That's a massive statement, yeah. but they have some incredible songs. Like I think if you get past you know some again very valid concerns you might have about their ultimate arc as a career and Bono as a guy and whatever. They just have some fucking belters, man. Like unique yeah. songs, which I'm into. Yeah. And they're kind of, they're willing to get a bit experimental. I know they've been quite safe on maybe latter day releases, but, um, you know, albums like Octung Baby, um, there's great stuff on Zeropa. And then when you go back to Unforgettable Fire, this, and also just in terms of the theme of the top five, it works so well. It's got that kind of cold, crisp thing to it. Uh, you know, just the lyrics work really well. They're simple, but it's, you know, the kind of quiet of a post New Year's Eve uh, scene and just kind of like looking to a year ahead and it kind of it captures that really well. So that's a very good song to kick us off, Dave. Well done. <laughs> And my uh, number five is another artist that keeps cropping up from time at time. Maybe getting a little tiresome, but when you're good, you're good. This is maybe the best film spoiler of all time. Sometimes it snows in April. Sometimes I feel so bad. Yeah, that was Prince with Sometimes It Snows in April. Uh, Dave was very moved by that clip, literally. <laughs> you okay, Dave? <laughs> Cheers, son's Moving crying. around the room. Cheers, <laughs> son's crying. Nice one. Yeah, now, to be fair, um, I guess real fun, boring, technical observation. I just realised that the lighting in my room there, it got really dark and my lamp was on, but I, I guess all you could see was like this weird crime watch-esque <laughs> silhouette. the room. Yeah, where I'm yeah. like, where it's like, I don't give permission for my image to be used. So I was like, that's a bit awkward for him, probably. I'll turn on the massive big light and close my curtains because now I'm paranoid my neighbours are looking in and will think I'm just some weirdo who's screaming at his own laptop. But the point it is, it chimes really well with the song vibe. Yeah, emotional song. Yeah, the, I, 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 my first thought, of course, with this song now is to think of fucking D'Angelo. Yes, and 100%. get really upset because that amazing performance he did after Prince's death. But yeah, thought about this one for my top five, and then thought, Nah, man, it's too emotional. Craig will get me though, <laughs> and Craig will probably pick it. Yeah. <laughs> You're dead right with the D'Angelo thing. Um, that tribute was so so moving. Um, it's it's kind of every time I play this, I just think of that performance and him welling up and barely getting through it. And, and Maya yeah, Rudolph um, stepping in and helping him Maya out Rudolph when he can't fucking sing it. So oh, yeah, God. lifting him up. <laughs> Such an amazing m- moment. Um, fair play to her for doing that. Yeah, yeah, it was a spectacular moment in music. Um, at a really really sad time. Uh, this was initially from. Uh, the Parade album, which was the soundtrack to his film Under the Cherry Moon, which I haven't seen. Uh, it was the follow-up to Purple Rain, far less successful. Uh, this song is basically, uh, you know, I said it was a film spoiler. It's recounting memories of Prince's character. So, like, Tracy is Christopher Tracy, who was Prince in the film, and how, spoiler alert, Tracy's death affected the narrator. So it's got this weird meta thing going on, which then takes on even more layers when you think it's almost it's him singing about his fictional self and then after his passing 
but even at the time it was kind of it had this mythology um the imagery is really striking um snow in april and that kind of harkens back to i think a saying about like spring lambs that don't survive you know if the winter is particularly long and harsh and it kind of stretches into april and it seemed at the time that he was talking about the end of his band the revolution and now of course um when he passed which was in april uh, april 21st 2016 yeah it just seemed um all too terribly fitting it was weird remember that um month that year i think it was about a month after we started the show and we had to do the kind of a very hasty tribute to him because we just got word i was running from work and the week after it actually started snowing in ireland we had snowfall like the week after which was very i was out for a run i remember it just started snowing i was like what is happening um so a very emotional song great and yeah every every time we start to move into a proper spring i think of this song I remember that day very well coming over to the podcast studio. I remember being on a train, getting the news and like ringing my sister, who actually, weirdly enough, last week's episode, I mentioned that my sister was big into dogs, but Prince was her guy. And I remember having to tell my sister over the phone that Prince had passed away. And I feel like it was like telling her a member of our family had passed away. It was just like Mm. this shocking moment. And then, yeah, we had to come into the studio and be like, uh, let's do this show that we've started a month ago and, you know, try our best. Uh, don't go back yeah. and listen to that one, guys. It was a long time ago. <laughs> we were still learning, you know. We did our very best, but I'm sure it was an absolute fucking mess because we were really upset. It sucked. We were. I miss him still. Okay, um, good choice, Craig. And as for me, interestingly enough, um, an act that have appeared before in one of your top fives. Can't imagine that, you know, they're going to appear too often, but this was a no-brainer for me at number four. Before you take my Peaking at number 18 on the official Ireland music charts, it's Summer Sun by Texas. Uh, Charlene Spiteri there, of course, who we talked about before with her unusual and unlikely but really good Wu-Tang Clan collaboration. Um, So good. This song to me is like such a great straight ahead pop dance, whatever the fuck you want to call it song. It was one of those ones where like, I was just glued to the radio, waiting for it to come on, to kind of top 30 hits, get like a 30-second snippet of it. I think I went out and bought the album, possibly, you know, read about it in Q, etc. There was just such a great thrust and drive to it that I loved. Uh, it was released in August of 1999, Craig, which I guess is fitting for this calendar, because as you keep referring to it, that was, what was it again? <laughs> Summertime for humanity. <laughs> Summertime for humanity. And... <laughs> Yeah, I went back and forth in this one because, I mean, my approach to this one, like, it hasn't just been, like, I mean, uh, you know, pick, you know, like, I guess keep to a specific theme. I'm trying my best within the parameters of what you said. I think even during the week I was like, I can't ask him again to explain it. I think I know what he's talking about. But I had <laughs> yeah, a song, yeah. um, I had a song lined up with Summer in the title and it was Gothic Summer by an act called Prayers. Friend of the show, Joshua Hughes, turned me on to that one a while ago. This kind of really, like, audacious um dance pop song again from a few years ago and it was between this and texas and i kept listening to this one and i was like nah go with your gut man go back to fucking 21 years ago when you thought this was the best song out at that time i just loved it there was an innocence to it um i think you know we talked about the idea of texas being maybe a bit underrated and with tracks like this it's good evidence yeah um really nice slice of that kind of like sophisticated 
pop that you used to get quite a bit uh, charting really highly. Like, it reminds me of like a lot of the Cardigans, maybe better songs where you're just like, oh yeah, this is just kind of a really kind of intellectual level of writing of this. It's subtle, but also got great hooks. Um, you've got those bells going as well, which it's just on me sound very like Christmassy, actually. They totally work <laughs> in the context of the song, but you, you wouldn't instantly think this is evoking summertime as you get the dong dong. It's um, a dark pop song, yeah. Craig. It's the best kind. And it's a dark summer song, which is maybe fitting for a Scottish band. Speaking of Scottish bands, here's my number four. Yeah, April Skies, same month, uh, different place, going from Minnesota to East Kilbride and the Jesus and Mary chain. A bit of springtime gloom there uh, from 1987. It's the lead single from their second album, uh, Darklands, which was them really honing in on like the Just Like Honey vibe that worked so well for them on their debut. Like When Jesus and Mary chain arrived, it was very distorted, feedbacky, um, punk rock they wrote some genuine anthems and they were like, okay, this is our direction. Um, and they just really hammered it home. It was like a formula, but it worked so effectively for, the, for them for a good number of years. The follow-up single to this was Happy When It Rains, which is a very, very similar vibe. Um, you know, not quite summer, bit of gloom. You're in Scotland. It's kind of wet, uh, overcast, and um, you're just heartbroken I guess it's such a good pop song but I love that kind of you know the lyrics talking about April skies and you're kind of going towards summer but they talk about the sun growing cold and the sky getting black and you know you've broken up with your significant other and it's what made them a really effective band just kind of that contrast in styles like Psycho Candy the debut was just that feedback thing but also like really sweet like 60s girl group Phil Spector melodies um and yeah, I, are the Jesus and Mary Chain kind of underrated at this point? I feel like they got, they were, a lot of their fan base is maybe the kind of people that might be into your Stone Roses, your Oasis's, and they're tired with that same brush, but I feel like they were a smarter, cooler, um, altogether better proposition. I'm going to be brutally honest, Craig. I have never listened to a Jesus and Mary Chain record from start to finish. Isn't that really awful of me? Because I like what I've heard, but I've never sat well, down. <laughs> I, I would recommend Darklands just because Psycho Candy is like held up as their masterpiece, right? It's the debut. But aside from Just Like Honey, which of course you're familiar with, um, it's very feedbacky. Like it's kind of a tough listen from start to finish just because they really leaned, leaned into that gimmick of like we're going to open every song with like a, you know an ear bleedingly loud hiss and I'm sure at the time it was very cool and like their gigs were apparently legendary but if you're just like chilling out on a Sunday afternoon want to stick on an album it's maybe not a headphones listen maybe one for the speakers Darkland so this album I recommend wholeheartedly all right, I'll get on it. The first time I ever really came across them properly was I think Pixies did a cover of Head On and then that led me yeah, back to them and on. I was like, oh yeah, and like I really enjoy both the cover and the original. So yes, uh, have you ever been to Scotland, Craig? Is it as miserable as you say it is? I've actually never been to Scotland now I think about it. 
For some reason, I, I thought you had. And then I was like, no, hang on. He wasn't in Scotland. He was in Blackburn, which sounded like a Scottish place, but also sounded <laughs> grim as fuck. Didn't you have a horrible it's, time there? Uh, well, I was in Blackburn for a very short amount of time, um, in fairness to the good people of Blackburn. But yeah, I was on a trip to Manchester to see United play. I was with my dad. We went to see the Liverpool match. United won. It was glorious. But my dad used to go to Manchester and then Blackburn quite a lot in his childhood. You're sorry you're asked now at this point, Dave. But I'm here he used for it, man. Family, he, used to, he used to have family <laughs> over there, right? So he would always talk about these idyllic summers he had as a kid in Blackburn, right? And Blackburn back then, like in the 60s, uh, was like this thriving... It's not a mining town, but it would have been like that kind of like northwest thriving industry town back then, right? And I literally saw like what happened after like Thatcher, where like all the industry closed down. And my dad went back to Blackburn for the first time in decades. And we got there. It was like the gloom was unreal. There was like a fog hanging over the town, right? We rocked up, half the shops were just shuttered. There was people wandering the streets aimlessly. We went went into like some of the pubs and just people looked like they'd been sitting there in the same seat since my dad left in the 60s. It was weird. It was grim. It was like, this is what Thatcher did to the northwest of England. Um, but maybe we just caught it on the wrong day. Yeah, possibly, yeah. Um, Sonic Architect Adam said he has been to Scotland himself. He said it was raining the entire time, but it was good crack, which is, I guess, you know, applicable <laughs> nice. to Ireland. Two thumbs up. It's the summer of 2005, Craig. Dave is working in Extravision. There's not a lot of great music options on Literal The Box, that was the name of the channel, but this was one of them, and it was part of a bigger revolution for a band that... This kind of made me hate them, but this was my takeaway. At number three... So yes, so yes, sentiment you could apply to right now. It's Wake Me Up When September Ends by Green Day, taken from the American Idiot album, which effectively revived their career, maybe even like raised their career to previously unheard yeah. heights and gave them a extended second life that I don't think we're benefiting too much from. I loved Green Day for a long time. I really, really did. And then American Idiot, I just, I fucking hated it, man. Especially the title track. I was just like, fuck this. But this song, even though it's naff as hell and everyone hates it, I kind of love it, man. Well, it's very... It works for this list because you can't really think of September without this coming into your head. Like, it's indelible at this moment in time. It does capture a mood of, like, transition, which September is for a lot of people, whether it's, like, you know, you know, going back to school, starting college, that kind of thing. It ties into a lot of big moments in September, of course. It's become that, like, as you say, when Green Day became this almost bigger thing or maybe more mainstream thing with American Idiot. Um, it felt like Billy Joe was writing like songs for America. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? He almost took on like a weird Springsteen role and this became like a de facto 
uh, 9-11 anthem, I think, right? Yeah, it, it kind did, of four years afterwards, yeah. which is kind of yeah. strange. And also, it also became a, maybe less de facto, but more of a kind of intrinsic, strange also symbolism tribute to Hurricane Katrina, the, the aftermath of that, which was happening at the time as well, which I just kind of find like, really like like I, I think the song is emotional and fun uh, but really also the music video um concerns a young couple in america in the heartland of america yeah. one of them goes off to war <laughs> in iraq <laughs> and um it doesn't go terribly well for their relationship uh he promised he wouldn't yeah. go can you name the two actors in the video oh my god who is it they're like fairly well known okay you've no who idea do you jamie bell no. jamie bell yeah. And Evan Rachel Wood. And I believe um, they were either a couple at the time or they became a couple shortly afterwards. They're no longer together, sadly, but what can you do? Um, I remember, so in the video, there's this whole moment because, like, again, I would mostly experience the song through the video. And it's one of those classic annoying videos where the video is like seven minutes long because the yeah. song keeps fucking stopping to play you, you know, dialogue scenes of this couple fighting. And I remember, and listen, I, I think I'm very much in a. Um, Island of One, a minority, you might say, if you want to reference another Green Day song. Um, <laughs> I, for so long, I was like, I should write a sitcom because I think it'd be really funny if there was a sequence in the sitcom in which, like, for example, our lead character has like a new girl over, Seinfeld style, and then two of our other supporting characters, his mates, like burst in the door and they reenact the exact fight from the Wake Me Up When September Ends video. And I remember people being like, number one, it's not that funny. Number two, it's incredibly niche. And number three, by the time you actually get this to air, no one's going to remember it, man. But, you know, I'm I still working on it. I love how niche it is. Yeah. It's, no, we it's need so that perfectly to niche. Reality. Like, that's why it works. That's why it's funny. Because it's so, like, outrageously niche for this massive commercial selling rock pop song. <laughs> Green Day, of course, we're supposed to play Ireland this summer with Fall Out Boy and Weezer on the Hella Mega Tour. If that comes back, will you go? Um... I'm not that interested, to be honest. I I saw Weezer last year and they were a whole lot of fun. Green Day, I have no interest in seeing at this point. They've just become so bland and yeah. Yeah, I don't sorry. know. Actually, do you know what? At this stage, I'll go to any gig. Yeah, yeah let's sure, go. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> let's there's do a, it. Sorry, on the Wikipedia page for this song, um, there's a, because you know, remember like, you know, you were saying like, there's like, there's usually like a reception and legacy drop in, down. There's like writing and composition, mm. etc. There's one here, annual internet meme, <laughs> and you click in and it's every year between the dates of September 30th and October 1st, internet memes circulate on social media featuring captions ordering Billy Joe Armstrong to wake up because September has ended. A literal interpretation interpretation of the song title armstrong oh. has stated that he is uncomfortable with the memes and has joked about wanting to write a song in response called shut the fuck up when october begins no need that no need for that billy however yeah for all of its well, overwrought nonsense emotion i love this song yeah and i will say I, I understand him being quite aggrieved at that becoming a meme because i believe the song is actually about his dad passing away when he was like a very young teen and it happened in September so it's like as naff as it sounds and maybe it's a failure of the writing that it's way too universal and it just becomes beige but like it's about a very specific trauma in his life and yeah he's just being memefied that sounds very 2020 all right taking bronze this week for me uh it's a group that are maybe tied with Nile Rogers as Ireland's most popular touring act when we can do that sort of thing let's go back to 2005 okay.
Mr. November, the national from Alligator, um, which was their breakthrough album. Maybe it was Boxer. But anyway, it was back when they had a bit of a roughness to them that they've since abandoned. Uh, they've become a slightly more ornate proposition, like to the point that when we were talking about Taylor Swift's uh, latest album, Folklore, we were saying that like the Desner's work on it was almost too polite and pristine at times. But this is just like, this was the album closer. It's this pent up release of a thing. It's just so urgent. It's like same territory for me as like the rat um, by the Walkman where you're just like, yes. And um, yeah, this is, I think November is actually a very kind of American month and this weirdly captures it. Whatever bit like your 4th of July is, but you know, November, you've got your Thanksgiving, you've got your presidential elections. Uh, Dave, thanks for alerting us to the fact that one is happening this year, I believe. Get out um, and vote. That's what I say. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Rock that vote, as Bruce might say. And this is kind of conflating a, a bunch of American pastimes or American cultural things where it's um, ostensibly about Matt, the lead singer, but also written about John Kerry at the time and trying to get him over the line as the Democrat in 2004. You're ruining the song, by the way. Absolutely ruining, like <laughs> killing the cool of this song. <laughs> they did. They do you remember around about 2008. They then kind of wheeled it back out, and they had T-shirts of Barack Obama, Mister November, which were selling for charity, and that was a much cooler vibe, um, and that worked that time around. But also, yeah, I think the the nicer element of it is how it's kind of it does that thing that they do so well, where it's kind of like a buttoned up, um, you know, middle class white man type feeling nervous and insecure and the title is just him kind of um saying over and over again to himself that he won't fuck things up everything is going to be fine and the mr november reference is uh kind of a link to that mr october thing which is like a baseball term for like sluggers that have really good post seasons um so like your reggie jacksons and all that kind of stuff um which ties in really nicely the production is great it's kind of airy crisp it's very autumnal wintry and it's just, it's top five, the national for me. It's a strong show, Craig. If I'm being brutally honest, I'm kind of, I'm kind of fucking sick talking about the national. So I'm just going to speed on. You mentioned a certain kind of way, a certain kind of, you might, you might have given away the title of my next one, but like, fuck it. Here's my number two. of 2008 it's white winter hymnal by fleet foxes everyone's favorite band to make you feel like it's getting cold outside guys uh i fucking love this song it conjures up memories of college and just like you know yeah it's that hilarious thing of like oh it's december man and it's like really cold and i gotta get a scarf on and i'm oh you know listen and it was just i don't know 2008 for me was like this kind of um it was a pivotal year for me in terms of music in terms of like really you know diving deep into forums and the hype machine and other places like that as i've said before and this was one of those songs this was like one of the kind of if there was like a now album specifically about dave having a turning point in music around you know kind of the mid to late 2000s 
I think White, Win- uh, White Winter Hymnal will have to be on there. I've said before that I do prefer Blue Ridge Mountains as a song by Fleet Foxes on the same album. I think it's on the same album. But um, even this week alone, going back to it and going back to it based on the remit of what we're doing, just a joy to listen to. And one that makes me kind of go, well, you know what, evenings get a bit darker. I've got White Winter <laughs> Hymnal in my in my back pocket. I was going to say, by the way, you know Steve Jobs, the hilarious Steve Jobs film with Michael Fassbender at the end of it when he tells his daughter that he's going to invent the iPod and he basically the iPod, says, yeah, yeah. I'm going to put 10,000 songs. Yeah, he's, 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 he's in a rooftop <laughs> car park and he's like, I'm going to put 10,000 songs in your pocket. Well, listen, Craig, if I've got 10,000 songs in my pocket, this is one of them. <laughs> Good shout. They're a good band for this kind of thing because they're very in tune with nature and the changing of the season. So everything they do kind of evokes a certain time of year. They've a really good summer song as well, 3rd of May, um, which I think was like one of their comeback songs. And actually, I was listening to during the week and I forgot how strong the melody was. So that's a great song as well. Yes, yeah, a good band. Um, and for my number two... Um, a band I've called previously Australia's greatest ever band, and then everyone always says, "What about the Bad Seeds?" It's not the Bad Seeds; it's the Go Betweens. Yeah, the go-betweens, Bye Bye Pride being the song, so I failed on the title front, but big points for being so evocative of um, start of summer, I guess, and just like, they were such a good band at that type of songwriting, just conjuring up a time, a place, the little details, and just really sumptuous, um, earwormy melodies. So they were a band from Brisbane, um, kind of centred around two very distinct songwriters, uh, Grant McLennan who's since passed on, and Robert Forster, who was maybe the kind of artsier, angular songwriter. And they worked really well together. But Grant's songs are, and this is one of them, are like this just like breathtakingly melodic um, style. And they sh- they're one of those kind of 80s indie bands that like they had the songs to have massive hits, but it just never really worked for them. They're like one of those bands. And yeah, I feel like this is, should have been a hit. It definitely wasn't. came out 87 again. Um, on a very strong album to Lula. And yeah, it's just the lineup was slightly changed to this stage. Uh, Amanda Brown came in uh, predominantly on violin, but she plays the oboe on this track. And I think she'd just gotten together with Grant and there were a couple and a lot of these songs were about to start their, their relationship. And it's a kind of, it's kind of like a lost love song, but it sounds very joyous. It sounds very like, it's like the promise of summer. Um, but then I started thinking, actually, if they're Australian, May 24th would have been the depths of their winter. So I don't know if that's an extra layer, but they were living in the UK at the time. I don't know, but it's a great song to check it out. You've you've gone down a rabbit hole here. You tied yourself yeah. up in some very intriguing knots. Wow, I, I don't even know where to begin. I mean, what, what conclusion have you drawn here? Like, 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 have you settled on it? They they seem to be talking lyrically about very Brisbane Australian things. So it leads me to believe that they're talking about their winter. But of course, the Australian winter is still quite pleasant. So 
it's just, you know, the, their concept of the changing of the seasons is completely alien to us. And maybe this song should be struck off. I like your um, Alice Cooper in Wayne's World-esque there. Of course, as we all know. Uh, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. It's pronounced Miliwake. Uh Okay, cool. I'll, I'll rescue you from this kind of hedge maze that you've dragged yourself into, or that I've perhaps pulled you through, to deliver my number one. Now, Craig, based on your smirk about five minutes ago, I fear I've given the game away. Here's my number one. I can't stay mad at you, The hey. National. <laughs> it's, of course, Mr. November by The National. Um, this crossover thing, man, we've had a couple of them now in recent weeks. I'm getting a bit like, yeah, you know? I felt like this might crop up, but sometimes the songs are just so undeniably good, you have to go with it. You can't say, you know, you can't play weird mind games. <laughs> no, for sure. And let's embrace it. So here's the thing, right? One of the reasons I love this song so much is because, first of all, I love how unabashedly, like, The National wrote a football terrorist song. Like, what the hell? How did that happen? <laughs> like, I mean, yeah. um, but this was formative for me because I think it's the first National song I ever heard. And I had a huge love affair with this band, much like Ireland's overall love affair with them. I still like them a lot. I, I will admit that in recent years, I think some of the magic has kind of worn off for me a little bit, but like what magic there was and what magic there still continues to be for you, perhaps. Um, I remember my often referenced really good friend, Adam, uh, made me a mix CD and one of the songs on it was Mr. November by The National. So I'd never heard of them before. This would have been around about probably, probably about 2005, 2006. Um, and... Adam was kind of like my spirit guide, really, for for cool music. Um, before I went off on my own, as noted in two thousand seven, two thousand eight, it was a hell of a hell of a decade, really, when you really think about it. And then I'd hot press around the corner, and who was up next? Craig Fitzpatrick. You know, it was all happening. Hey! But here's the thing, right? What a second act. <laughs> well, uh, let me tell you, you know, hard acts to follow, but you've done it, man. But here's the thing, right? Um, Miss November was an instant like, what is this? You know, I was like, this is incredible. Um, and then Boxer came along, and I loved Boxer to bits. I saw the National five times over. 2007 to about what gig did we go to together in the O2 before it was three arena probably about 2010 or so was it i mean 2011 yeah maybe? 2011 so like definitely a, yeah. yeah over like a four-year period i saw them live i saw them live three times in the olympia once at oxygen and then that gig that we went in the O2 when i remember i think i turned to you during that and i was like eh, i think i'm over the national for a while I'm done still great <laughs> but you know like you know yeah <laughs> done <laughs> i can close that chapter but i remember um because again, like, I mean, their music is so stately and so, you know, rich and somber and it's Matt Berninger doing his kind of vocal. Like, like, like it's just that very kind of like That was low beautiful. Roar. Uh, it was terrible. It was very, very low roar. But it's like, then of course, all of a sudden, like at the end of the Olympia Theatre, there he is fucking like diving head first into the crowd and being hoisted up much like, you know, being uh, carried in the arms of cheerleaders, screaming, <laughs> screaming with the crowd, screaming back at him about Mr. Fucking November, who again, you know, I'm... Uh, I, why are we bringing politics into music, Craig? It's just a good rock song, I know. right? <laughs> it's a great rock song and it, feel, it does have that metal air of it's like a fantasy fulfilled. Like he didn't fuck us over and it all was okay in the end and sometimes you just need that, particularly in winter. Okay, we go for my number one. Let's do it. Let's do it. Um, speaking of latter-day hits, comeback songs, I'm not sure if I'll get stick for this one, but I had to follow my heart. 
Oh, what a night it was. Uh, December 1963 from the four seasons. So this ticks all the boxes. Incredible. And I could not deny this song. It's so good. I'm not sure how other people feel about it, but I feel like it was like a guilty pleasure for years. And it's actually just a really, really good, well-constructed song. End of. I'm so waiting for some kind of Is that your entire? I was like, wow. I was like, I thought. Like, I was trying the, to read your face. I'm like, yeah. just froze the most succinct. I was like, end of. Like, end of show. Don't even, don't even have an outro to the show. Just kill the feed, Adam. Like, fucking unbelievable. I think I'll let the song speak for itself. I, uh, yeah, it's a classic, but I can't. I don't know. I mean, like, um, Adam did make a point there in our wonderful text-based chat that we have, which was, sorry, it is good, Craig Fitzpatrick. Um, he was like, uh, I don't feel like Dancing by Scissor Sisters comes to mind for obvious reasons. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, I, this could be one of those ones I've heard too many fucking times. It's in every film I'd say ever so. Made. It's like every, and every kind of wedding afters, like it's one of those songs. It just unites all the different generations, but for a reason. So it came out in like 75, um, at a time when the Four Seasons and Frankie Valley were considered over the hill they had most of their big hits in around about 1963 uh you'll be surprised to hear uh when the song itself is set it's a really good example of like older acts at the time kind of hopping on board the disco train but actually doing it very well like this could be a kind of bg song um and it's one of those songs which maybe could be a top five at some point where it's like the verses are good enough to be choruses if you know what i mean it's like they, they've written a chorus and then they've written another chorus and just thought, listen, we're combining the two. This is good enough. People are going to love it. And yeah, it gets me every time. It's it's really good. Uh, it wasn't Frankie Valli on vocals. I think it was the was it the drummer doing the vocals. But then you've got the whole band just chiming in and the kind of vibrancy of the different voices. It's very, very joyous. It sounds like it was quite a night. I don't know, Dave. I wasn't there. I was, yeah. doing, some read, I was doing some reading on it. And um, actually, apparently it was supposed, it was initially called... Um, December 5th, 1933. It was about the end of Prohibition. I think their their manager was like, no, I just don't have a Prohibition song at this point. It's like, come on, just bring it up to date. So they're like, okay, 63 it is. And it was a hit. <laughs> <laughs> and the rest is history, rest, mate. Say is history. <laughs> oh, what a top five. Bravo. Uh. Patreon.com slash no encore if you'd like to help support this show. I have got some bad news, though. Craig is unfortunately leaving the podcast for an episode for a week oh he'll switch where are you going mate yeah i've i've annual leave i, I might take off down the country um just to recharge the batteries but you just were to rub it in yeah kind so enough to say you can leave <laughs> you're like it'll be fine i'll hold down to fort so um yeah so we'll leave it in your capable hands um, i've got plans i've got lots of plans oh, you've always got plans you yeah. always have plans <laughs> i can do it you know i don't need you please don't leave please don't go leave the show <laughs> i'll be back um, just keeps things fresh, you know. Just yeah, bring some vibrancy apart, back into you know? our relationship when I come back. Time apart, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, it's like absence makes the heart grow fonder, and you know, like we need to spice things up, Craig. So that's how we do it. You know, I'll I'll go off with Wrap someone else for Wrap. a week. <laughs> His name is Craig Fitzpatrick. This show, this episode of No Encore, has been engineered by highly patient Sonic Architect. Adam Shanahan. Um, Beautiful man. Yeah, lots more stuff to come. There's some standalone episodes coming of note as well. There should be a new No Popcorn as well in a few days' time. Uh, yeah, fuck it. My name is Dave Hanratty. This has been No Encore. There will be No Encore. I'm going to miss you, Craig. 
This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Looking for a way to make online learning a better option for your family? When it comes to virtual learning, experience matters. Tuition-free K-12-powered schools are ready to put over 20 years of experience to work for you, giving your child the personalized learning they deserve without disruptions. With a K-12-powered school, students gain the skills they need to be prepared for their next steps in life, building a better future for each one of us. K-12, education for anyone. Learn more at k12.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Okay, I have two new obsessions that I need to share with you. Impress No Glue Press-On Manny's and Impress Press-On Falsies Lashes. Trust me, these are getting ready game changers. Both require no glue, so there is no damage to your natural nails and lashes, no mess, and no annoying dry times. Just one step and you're done. Boom. Instant glam. Visit impressbeauty.com slash presson and use code presson25 at checkout for 25% off Impress Manicure and Presson Falsies. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.